0: big buck registries big buck podcast episode number 49 american tracker lane benoit Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level.
1: This is Lane Benoit, Master Tracker. You're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes. I'm Lee Lukoski. And I'm Tiffany Lukoski, and you're listening to our favorite hunting podcast on iTunes. This is Matt Drury with Drury Outdoors, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on iTunes. This is Milo Hanson. This is Jay Fish, the owner of the world record Johnny Kingbuck, and you're listening to the world record podcast. The Big Big Buck Buck Registry Big 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 Buck Podcast.
0: Welcome to the show. This is Jay Scott. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. I have my good friend and field correspondent from Ohio on the other line. As we speak, Dusty Phillips, what's happening, Dusty? Yo, yo, yo. I want to say a little something about good friend of ours, fellow by the name of Billy Daw. Billy Daw. Billy Daw, Billy D. Uh, Billy's been following us on the Big Buck Registry, and he had submitted a, a buck a while back. Um, the unique thing about Billy is that he does all his hunting from a wheelchair, um, and he's shooting deer. One of the best things about Billy is his energy, and he actually, with a little help from his friends, we got a page off the ground for him, Wheelchair Outdoors.
2: I tell you what, Jay, what what an inspirational feller he is. Uh, Billy, man, we look up to you for what all you do, and uh, Wheelchair Outdoors will become
0: huge. Yes. There is not a better marriage than Billy having a, a Facebook page to share his entire knowledge and his feelings with the world and I'm following it every day man he's, he's he's got more likes in a shorter amount of time than I've ever done uh or had on the big buck registry Facebook page
2: absolutely same for chubby times outdoors you know if you if you take a minute to talk with Billy and you you understand the inspiration that that he has being in a wheelchair and being uh, hunting and fishing and outdoors i'm telling you if you if you go like his page you're going to follow him and see what kind of activities he's got going on daily it's it's like his personal blog of what it's like to be a hunter and a fisherman and an outdoorsman from a wheelchair yep
0: and, yeah true inspiration absolutely oh, true a- inspiration absolutely he has, he! It doesn't let it. He lets it, it. Nothing stops him. He keeps going,
2: and and he's he's trying to get it out there that so that everybody understands what life is like in a wheelchair and being being in the woods and outdoors and fishing and hunting, and mm-hmm. that that's kind of why Billy's got a. a Facebook page called wheelchair outdoors
0: look him up yep and it's uh, it's actually facebook.com forward slash wheelchair outdoors all all put together if you want to do it that way too but there is no other wheelchair outdoors so most likely if you go in your search bar on Facebook just type in wheelchair outdoors you're going to find Billy and his page over there and man he's uh, he's rocking it with some really good content
2: he is rocking it and you know people's interacting with him and it's, it's a way for him to talk with the world and, and I think that uh, he's going to really Really enjoy it, and it's going to really get huge for him. And uh, you know, you never know what the future brings for that.
0: Yep, uh, keep up the great work, Billy. We're uh, we're a hundred percent behind you. Yes, sir. All right. So, but uh, Billy, being a fan, we have other fans as well, and we have actually received quite a few reviews on iTunes lately. And I think we should run down on quite a few of them here.
2: Yeah, let's uh, let's do that, Jay. And I'll, I'll jump in there. Okay. N- number three review is uh, Darren Short. And Darren posted as a review, five stars, by the way. Thank you for that, Darren. And, uh, you know, we encourage everybody to get on and give us a review. If if you listen to the show and, and you enjoy it, just hop on iTunes and give us a review and, and let, let us know, good or bad. It doesn't matter. But uh, Darren Short writes, just started hunting last year, and, and these guys have helped me with my buck fever. Jay and Dusty do an excellent job. Of getting their guests to reveal their hunting their hunts in great detail. The stories are filled with tips and lessons learned. Keep up the good work, guys. Can't wait to to try these tips out next opening season. You know, Darren, appreciate it. And uh we're glad that we're able to get some tips and techniques and tricks into your hunting world and, and hopefully it takes your hunt to the next level. And that's that's what the Big Buck Registry, Big Buck Podcast, is all about. Absolutely.
0: This is from Adidas God, and I think I know who this is, but I'm, I didn't come across, so I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure. It says, great deer hunting show. The show is great if you're a hunter, and especially if you have buck fever. I started listening to them when they interviewed Carrie Z from the wild world of Carrie Z, and she mentioned the interview on her show. Since then, I went back and listened to all their old podcasts and wait for the new one to come out every Saturday morning. I can honestly say they're in my top five podcasts. I listen to them every week. Their podcast is like crack in that I need my fix every week. But the high wore off by Monday or Tuesday, which leaves me wanting to to hear more through my withdrawal until the next Saturday again. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really good. <laughs> that now, is really cool. We're not uh, we're not insinuating that you should go do crack, um, but that is light crack, and uh, I hope other people find it that way too.
2: Yeah, and and you're going to get your fill every weekend. Your fix is coming Saturday morning, 5 a.m. every time, every Saturday. Yep. We're, we're we're on it for you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna bump into a uh, another review and. Uh, man it seems like as we go through reviews Jay five star reviews are popping up everywhere and, yes. and that's what we're we're shooting for to make this the best podcast for hunting that's available on the net yes yeah I'm gonna bump down to number 17. okay it's by doe girls and you know doe girls is a scent free scent control makeup and uh that that's uh going to be a huge company up and comer and you know, a shout out to doe girl but their uh their review went like this big buck racer is very informative I have Enjoy podcast after podcast. Very educational, humorous, and supportive of fellow hunters, huntress, and businesses. Just when you thought you have heard everything, Jay and Dusty bring you another great podcast. You know, and that, that right there tells you that uh, we're, we're headed in the right direction. We're, we're digging deeper. We're, we're getting the best information to our listeners that, that's possibly
0: available. And I look forward to a whole lot more of that in the future. Yep. Um, just a couple other notables here. we got Tim Moore from Tim Out, More Tim Outdoors. Number eight, entertaining and informative without being being stiff what more can you ask for say that's awesome so we're we're not all rigid we're not you know trying to read a script or anything we have our topics we want to cover but we like to keep it loose and real and human so i think that kind of spells it out and uh number nine from carrie z uh this is my this is my top this is in my top five listen podcast if you love deer and deer hunting this podcast is a must very cool um, and I gotta, I just got to point out number 19, Dusty, <laughs> Dusty's mom and dad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If if you're going to do it, you got to have your family behind you doing it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
0: yep. Chuck, Chuck is tuning in. You guys do a fantastic job. We tune in every week and enjoy every minute of it. Can't wait until the next one comes out. Great hunting info and something new. Every broadcast, keep it up guys. And you never know where it will take you. Thank oh, you. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck. And mom. Uh, Mom Phillips.
2: They they, they call me and tell us that we're doing awesome and that uh, everything's sounding good and they enjoy our show and that that's what it's all about. You know, I appreciate my mom and dad. Shout out to them for being behind me for what I do and. And, uh, you know, we, we appreciate all the listeners for being behind us too. And that it's an awesome thing. And we're going to keep progressing and, uh,
0: getting more better hunting information out to our listeners. Yes. We are constantly in the pursuit of a better and higher in content and, uh, highlighting the hunters that make this, this whole thing happen in the first place and finding those great stories to tell. And, uh, so. Yes, the, the listeners, you, the listeners, you that are listening right now as, as I say this to you with the earbuds in your, in your ear or on your stereo in your car or stereo at home, listening to the big buck registry. We thank you very much for tuning in every Saturday and, uh, shoot us a review if you could go over to iTunes or to Stitcher and leave us some comments and let us know what you think about the show. Go give us a five star if you could. If you don't want to, Hey, that's cool. That's fine too. We need to know so we can make this thing better. Um, Dust, you ever heard of the the famous hunting family out of Vermont named the Benoites? Absolutely, you have.
2: Yeah, who who hasn't really?
0: Well, I you never know, but I, these guys are they- legendary. Right. There's uh, quite a few
2: brothers, a uh, dad that was, you know, Larry. legendary. Yeah, you know, one, one that sticks out in particular is Lane Benoit.
0: Lane Benoit. Absolutely. Lane comes from a, a very uh, strong hunting family, a legendary hunting family with a legendary hunting father named Larry. Um, Larry has since passed on and i uh, sorry to hear about that. Lost a lot, a lot of good um, hunting influences in the industry over the last year or so. Um, but the brothers are carrying on the tradition and one that is trying to branch out a little bit is Lane, Lane Benoit, and he's going to uh, join us on the show. Awesome. You know, I'm looking forward to this because uh, I think they're known for tracking. They are. Big, big trackers. If that's, yeah, big time trackers. That's exactly how they hunt. They don't hunt in tree stands. They don't um, hunt in blinds. They, they're trackers. That means they go out, they find a print that they like, a footprint, and they start Following the deer. Yeah, I'm gonna
2: try. I'm gonna try to get in some more detail on that because that that sparks my interest, and I know there's a lot of other hunters out there that that's gonna that may be pretty useful. And let's let's get
0: a little deeper into that tracking. All right, let's get Lane on the phone and break it down. Let's do it, Lane. Welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: Well, it's an honor. It's uh, it's not every day we get a legendary hunter on the show.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm up here. This is the first time for me to do uh, something like this podcast, and, and I, me- I remember when, when I was approached,
2: I said, that sounds like bait for trout fishing or something.
0: Bait for trout fishing. <laughs> we get that a lot. I, Dusty, we get, don't we get that a lot?
2: Uh, we do, actually. That's, uh-huh. It's crazy that you said that.
0: Milo Hansen said something similar. He goes, what the hell's a podcast? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Wow, well, I live up
1: here and i kind of like a caveman up in, up in the woods here on a class four road with no power and everything's off the grid. Got a generator and some solar panels and pretty much left alone. Don't even have a landline, you not fire his phone. So,
0: <laughs> but, but you have a cell phone that sounds
2: like
1: a I have not yeah. I was, I'm surprised it's working so well for us right now with the weather is here, right
0: now. Uh, tell us approximately where you're at right now, Lane, in the United States of America.
1: I am in central Vermont. And for most people, I guess, I know when, back in the old days when we were racing snowmobiles and traveling all over the country, I used to tell them we're from Vermont and they say, is that in, in New York State? Right. <laughs> and really we're next to New York State, in between New York State and New Hampshire.
0: Exactly. And when I'm traveling, people say, where are you from? I, I just tell everybody I'm from Boston. <laughs> even, where I live is nowhere close to Boston.
1: So, where I'm up here is pretty woodsy and, uh, it's not huge woods or anything anymore like it used to be when I was a kid. It was a lot more farmland and, uh, and a little more rural than it is now. Vermont's growing up just like a lot of the other states, fires. Is- traffic and people moving into it so it's, yeah. it's a lot busier than it used to be i mean right now where i'm living up here up in the woods on a class four road there's no cars no traffic and it's quiet all i'm hearing is the brook and the frogs out here right now
0: hmm, i like that that sounds pretty good what do you say dusty yeah it sounds uh pretty awesome really sounds relaxing you know it makes a man just want to put on some pajamas and sit outside and listen to the the peepers
1: yeah that's the cool thing is and you know nice thing about it in the summer here the way the brook comes down through here and stuff there's always a cool breeze the quiet so I here listen to the nightlife and and if you, you have to listen really, really hard to hear any traffic or anything going on, usually feel you know, loud motorcycle or a big truck way, way off or something, but I'm kind of in a little hollow. So yep. you, even though it's up, up in the elevation here and it's just a remote, nice, nice spot. It's quieter quiet a place as I could find here in central Vermont, I guess.
2: Very cool. So, are, are you in like a cabin, a house? Where do you stay in there?
1: Oh, I have a log cabin here and uh, I have a big t- old trout palm that wraps around the ledge here and a brook that runs down through the property as I'm sitting here on the porch. I'm I'm looking off at mountains up in the distance here, and it's pretty, it's pretty unique.
2: That sounds really cool. Yeah, sounds spectacular.
0: Elaine, you you grew up in Vermont, is that
1: correct? Yes, I grew up, grew up in Vermont my whole life. Okay. Uh, and that's one of the things I'm writing my book on is, is what life was like back in, uh, of course, as far as I can, my memory first starts is at, at the very end of the 50s. I was born in 54. Okay. So I'm writing from about 1959 on as one of my first memories there. And what Vermont was truly like as a kid growing up in and, and being a Benoit, you know, and growing right. up under the shadow and, you know, the legend of my dad, Larry Benoit. and and fall in his foot tracks.
0: Larry was a a legendary man, um, and he is a legend forever in the hunting industry. Uh, He really paved the way for a lot of uh, hunting as we know it today. And uh, he certainly taught you guys a few things or two about hunting. Um, oh
1: yeah, and that, you know that, that's typical of any family, and if, you know, if a you fathers being a real father, they, uh, they they hand down their knowledge to their sons, and, and hopefully that they carry it on and you know follow in their footsteps. Yeah. Of every dad's wish, I think, a little bit.
0: And what's your earliest memory of your of your dad?
1: Uh, I think it goes all the way back into when I was just a very very little boy, and uh, it was when they first ran pavement up through route 100 when we first moved into that old schoolhouse it was a dirt road and i remember dad coming home from work after they'd been paving all day, and we got into a bunch of tire mm. and he wasn't very happy with us <laughs> <laughs> i was only probably about five years old at the time
0: that's crazy now how many how many brothers are there
1: there is i've got uh, three brothers and
0: five sisters three brothers and five sisters
1: Yep, it was a busy little family in his time.
0: Wow, that's a big family.
1: Yeah, and you got to realize back then, growing up in rural Vermont, uh, hunting was wasn't something that you did for just sheer pleasure or for trophies or anything like that. Right. And we kind of progressed into the into the trophy status part of it by uh, just for the fact that the bigger the deer we shot, the more meat you got. Right. And it wasn't about horns. I mean, we talk about the Hanson buck and, and the King buck and all that. And nowadays. everything's about scorn and horns pretty much. But in our day and time, it was about going out and shooting the biggest deer that you can find because you got more meat off of it. And as family Went. It was a family tradition to uh, go out, and if you had five tags, you went out and got five deer that were, you know, legal deer for them tags. And, and even back in the days, it wasn't considered uh, proper too awful much to uh, share tags. Uh, the game wardens pretty much didn't, didn't pursue it much. They would kind of look the other way because they knew, that, especially the large families, that you're feeding your family, you know. And, right. So I remember the game warden sitting right down and having a meal of venison right with us, and he'd look over, and one of them was a real loud, loud guy, a very good friend the family looking at me, did you shoot that monk boy? And the guy would make it kind of quiver in my, my shoes, but just by the, <laughs> the moving voice that he had, I yeah. go, Yes,
3: sir, I'm dead. <laughs>
1: oh, that's great. It was like, and uh, he ended up being a really great friend of the family. It never no, never <laughs> <it>. <laughs> that's really great. scare scared to so the truth.
0: Right. So, you grew up in Vermont with your brothers and your sisters, and venison was more or less, or shooting big deer became a way to put more food on the plate or store it throughout the winter and uh throughout the year it sounds like it was more of a sustenance thing
1: yeah i and- am like I, like I said, you know, uh, back in them days, you know, the game wardens, if somebody needed food, you know, there was a lot of big families around back then and the times were tough. I remember seeing food commodities and powdered milk and cheese being handed out that was army surplus to some of the families that were needy. And, and I think my dad helped feed a lot of people around here off and on with, with some Venice. <laughs> I really do. Right. And I remember as a very little, little guy one time sitting at the table and it was in the middle of summer and we had some fresh meat on the I asked Dad what kind of meat was this and Dad just looked at me with that grin he all was at there it was kind of a sheepish looking grin and he said it's veal my boy veal veal <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was truly, but I have my suspicions right. and believe, believe me the game ones back then, in you were feeding your family and stuff they didn't they didn't bother the family as much
0: yep yeah. uh, you you developed a, a pretty unique technique um, hunting where you do did you guys hunt in Vermont? exclusively for a while and then started yes, to expand uh,
1: so in the early years we, it was all Vermont and we were shooting great big bucks here in Vermont. We were kind of uh, the pioneers of, uh, of what you call uh, quality deer control management nowadays okay We were managing in our own hunting countries way back then uh, We didn't shoot spike horns and the four pointers and stuff. When we were little kids, when we were young boys or something. We were allowed to shoot shoot some smaller deer as we were learning to be a hunters. hunter. Okay. And after you shot a four-pointer, you were expect to step up to the plate and shoot a six-pointer the next year or something, you know, better. And that was kind of just what the philosophy was in the family. So eventually, we all turned into kind of like trophy hunters in a lot of ways. We would just, you know, with competition amongst yourselves and stuff. And uh, we were when we had hunting countries, we didn't take the four-pointers and the spike horns anymore and stuff. And we all Always had big bucks there every year, and up around Jay Peak, uh, Belvedere, and the big woods up north is where we were doing that. Which where my dad was from, was around Montgomery Vermont. Okay, which is up in the northern northern tier, and that's where all the big big deer were at the time, and that's in the state. And if you go to Dad's house to this day, I can show you tons and tons of great big, you know, big deer racks and stuff that were shot in Vermont. Right. What happened was then uh, Fish and Game decided they were going to fix the deer. They were going to make it bigger, better, something. They were going to fix it. When they fixed they fixed it so they weren't having any deer they opened up the whole state to doe hunting and the hills just ran with blood from those being slaughtered off here for to the 60s and the early 70s to the point of where we didn't have had anything to do with. Mm. And the, then that also was logging and some other things going on, the big woods turned smaller, smaller, smaller. In the early 70s, my oldest brother and dad and them decided to move into Maine. That Finding big bucks here in Vermont was just getting ridiculous. And so as so, soon as they went into Maine, it was like like getting kids in a candy shop. There were big butt tracks. Almost every log road that you went and cruised around and we were in heaven of course. And, and by then, Shane and myself were becoming big buck hunters and so we, we started shooting big bucks in Maine and then we just started racking them up year after year after year and, and we'd still come back to Vermont and shoot some good deer here off and on. I mean, I, yeah. I think the last buck I shot here in Vermont was in 2003 was an eight pointer or something. So oh, here, and then and if I get time to hunt Vermont and then I, I can still shoot a big buck here, it just takes a little work to locate them that's all.
0: Gotcha. Let's talk about the progression of your skill set of Learning how to track. When you guys were well, growing up in the in in Vermont, did you start tracking then, or was it a different type of hunting?
1: No, we we've always been a family of trackers. Okay, uh, that was what what as kids, when we grew up, you know, as we were growing up, dad and his family, his uncles and cousins and all that. Sometimes they'd be the night before deer season they'd be downstairs there and i'm getting ready to go off and hunt back when they were just hunting around bolts, so sometimes they were staying at that health and us kids were supposed to be the dad of course but we'd have our ear to the trap door there and listen to all the buck stories and the big deer hunters and the bragging and the brain you know how deer camp is yeah <laughs> yeah so we were listening to all that and 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 tracking was all they mostly ever talked about in in our family. That was how they are going to – and some of the older gents and the overweight ones or whatever would have to sit somewhere and do whatever. But there was no drives or anything like that. It was always about tracking or positioning yourself where, where the deer traveled.
0: Okay, gotcha. So the skill set that you, you developed in, in Vermont carried on to the bigger woods up in Maine. And mm-hmm. it, the – Correct me if I'm wrong. As I heard you say, the reason that you guys went to Maine to hunt was because the deer population in Vermont at that time was not quite where you wanted it to be.
1: Yeah, well, the you know is finding big bucks and stuff. And what was also happening was uh, as hunters could get in the woods, the bigger woods more because of you those know, log roads opening up, some of the large tracks of land. When you got tracking a big buck around in the end, it'll get shot on you a lot of times because, you know, people are within business when you're tracking. You need, you need big remote woods to track when that happens and right. that even still happens up in the state of Maine. Believe it or not, so if they're tracking right now you are a lot of it can happen anywhere. Yep. I, I had a guy one time I was on a big mountain range I swear he was the only guy in 10 miles around that mountain there and I've run one of the bucks I ever tracked but. So that was one of the pitfalls of, of tracking is you've got to have big woods, and you want it remote, and you want to be away from people if you can. And we key in on that. We, we try to find the most remote, try to get to kind of places there is and, and locate big bucks and track them.
0: Gotcha. So the key is really to get into these huge pieces of woods. Where it's yeah. unlikely to find other hunters.
1: Yeah. And if I track around home here where I live right now, if you run that deer around enough, he's going to get shot up. Right. If you don't get him when you track him and you don't get him in his bed and you get him up and moving during the daytime there, because most of them will go nocturnal here. They, they'll find a place to lay down and, and haul up if they can. unless somebody steps on him and, and track him, if you can catch him in his bed and get him in his bed, then you got him. But if I get him up and running here, nine times out of ten, somebody's going to be shooting at him or they're going to get it.
0: Right. Because it's essentially... Becomes a push in a in a sense at that point. Human,
1: yeah, right. yeah. Now there's so many hunters around central Vermont here that it's pretty. Unless you get up into the big mountains, and you've got a pretty good chance at doing it up in there and not having too many problems. The trouble is, as you as the day goes on, tracking a buck, you keep jumping, and eventually he's tired. He's going to go down into the lowlands. Gotcha. You're, you're going to run him off the mountains, and once he goes down into the where people where the hunters are, he's going to get shot.
0: Gotcha. Was it your father who decided to go to Maine?
1: Uh, He had gone to Maine on a couple trips with some friends and really liked what he saw. And I think my oldest brother Lanny was a bigger push on that than anything because Lanny is a real wanderer and likes to see new country kind of guy. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way myself personally. I I can't, I can't hunt a particular place too awful long before I think I got to go and see something else. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say my oldest brother was a bigger motivator than anything for us is doing. We still always call him our chief scout because he was just that wanderlust all the time. Gotcha.
0: How did you end up deciding that this was the area where you're going to start? Was there any criteria? Criteria that you laid down?
1: Um, you mean fires in the state of Maine?
0: Yeah. Like, what? What? Well, you, you knew you are going to Maine, and you, you knew it was rural, but how did you decide that this is the spot where we're going to kind of rest oh, our camp?
1: It's, uh, after a while, you you learn to see what's around you, as the terrain, certain mountain basins, uh, whether it's got a good water source, maybe at the base of a pond, uh, where, there, where there's different vegetation from lower elevation to higher elevation um great uh... bed in area, areas uh... they got to have a good place to winter there's a bunch of factors that you, you've you've got to play into a, and look at what,
3: what we, uh, just,
1: we, just, we just we just cruise the log roads too and look for big buck shots. And once you find one and and um, a lot of times it'll stop the rig right there and i'll track him with a smaller bare ground and see in my guide him and see where he leads me and a lot of times they will lead you to where the popular beer are
2: gotcha tell me tell me real quick what's is it a true fact that Big tracks is, is nine out of ten times got a big nice rack on it.
1: Uh, that's yeah. That's you got to be careful with that. Uh, a big track does not always mean a big rack. And right. uh, I've been saying that same saying for a long time. Some of the best racks that I have on my wall have been deer with not all that big a fee. They had great strides and a lot of stagger in the track, which tells me it's an awful big gear and everything. And you sometimes those smaller tracks, you have to track them away and see what they give you for indicators on whether he's carrying a big set of horns
2: or not. Right. So, so you're saying that uh, I want to give get a little bit deeper into that, Jay. I hate to butt in on you. But no, I'm no, go for it, man. I, I, I want to know a little bit more about this tracking because it's not very often that you are able to talk with somebody that can track well and, uh you know, with your, your experience and your upbringing, that sounds like, Lane, you got it going on as far as the tracking. Tell us some details on, on knowing that it's a mature buck and, and with some decent size to it. You got into well, a, the, the stride and maybe some stagger. Tell us a little more information I, about that, if you would. Now,
1: the, the stagger is is a distance if you will draw a straight line from the track up front, straight back, and say you got a say you got a character square, and you run it on the outside of the, the track that's up front, run it back, and then it turns into an L like a character square, and you'll probably have eight inches of difference between the tracks, far side to side. Then then the length of stride is the distance between the track between each each track. Right. Is there so, is
2: I, there is there any numbers on what like as far as inches feet? Is there any details uh, that you can i've never
1: it. Met, never measured it and i'm a i'm not an overly long legged person or whatever but if you take a big bucket and he's walking as his natural gait, and I have to stretch out my stride to match it that's that's one big long body big deer. Right. Uh, my logo on my hat for is, uh, big tracks and big weight with that stagger and, and stride is I put a off six shell in the track sideways. And if I can put that off six shell in the track and then don't touch on either side, you're looking at a 230 to 80 pound deer. Depends on how fat he is and what time of season it is and all that.
2: Right. Yeah. It gives us, it gives us a great reference, uh, 30 off six shell.
1: Yeah. That's, that's my, what my logo looks like. It's how I have just always measured them.
2: Right. Yeah. Awesome. Gotcha.
1: And in fires tracking on rack-wise, there's a lot of little indicators – a big buck will, when he walks up to get between two trees, he moves his foot a little off to the side a little bit to clear the tree for his set of horns, and a lot of times, they 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 will always pick the nicest places to go, where if he's following a doe, she'll go between two trees that are really tight, he'll go around them, and uh, if he does go through some tight stuff, you'll see where his horns are making a hole through the stuff a lot that's breaking twigs off here or there. Sometimes they'll break a branch off and carry it for a certain distance in his horns, and then the branch will drop off maybe, you know, ten feet away and fifteen feet away, that's how far you can be carried that, that one branch
2: hmm. in the horns. Right. and the horn. And just uh, there's
1: a lot of stuff that it takes it takes years to get to perfect and get really good at it.
2: Right. How how many years do you think it took for you to get to be a uh,
1: fire with the horn thing, I I believe it or not, in the last decade that is where I really concentrated on Seeing what's for big horns and stuff. And when we were hunting in Maine, we were just shooting big beer and what. If you saw a bone, you know they had a decent rack. You shot. It. You didn't. It wasn't really. We weren't really thinking about horns at all that much. In the last decade and a half, I've been playing with the horn thing, and, and I've, I've learned to analyze rubs and tracking the bucks and figuring out what they got horns that way. Mm,
2: right. How many years do you think, uh, say somebody was just getting into tracking, how many years do you think that a person would put in to, to become a, an effective, accomplished well, track?
1: That, yeah, that's a funny, funny thing to answer is because everybody's ability, abilities are different. Right. Mm. I mean, I have taken a fair amount of people out and tried to show them tracking and stuff and some people just cannot see what they need to see. Right, just, so
2: it's kind of, it's kind of like a, a gift then that you uh, yeah. acquire acquired gift.
1: It can be learned, but it is some people are going to take a lot longer to learn than others. And there's a, there's a lot of different variables. Uh, you've got to know when to slow down and when to go fast. And that's what we wrote all our books and all our stuff on, you know, through the years it was trying to give some insight to people on what our technique was about. And here in the Northeast is Everybody's a tracker pretty much now compared to you know, the way that it used to be. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of people up in trees and tree stands and hunting that style. But, uh, far as to be successful in the real big woods of Maine and New Hampshire and our, our northern woods of Vermont here, you need to be a tracker, you know, to really make it happen every year.
2: Right. How much does snow play a factor in tracking?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that's the most important thing is getting snow. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't get the snow that we used to get in deer season, so it's been, it been a problem, you know, fires trapping and stuff. You know, I can bear ground them a long ways on leaves and stuff if it's raining like today on wet leaves, uh, it's, it, it, you know, like beech and maple and all that is pretty, pretty easy. And those with when you start getting into the softwoods and stuff, it's a little tough, but. And it's tedious and it's time consuming and to catch up to a buck that's really roaming is not going to happen for your
0: own around of us. Right, excellent. Gotcha. Lane, tell us a little bit about uh, the the rivalry between brothers. I'm I've never heard that there was a rivalry between any of you guys. I'm just assuming that there is, having a brother of my own. Th- th- <laughs> th- it was constant fighting. No matter what. It could uh, be over a piece of bubblegum. Do you guys uh, get we, along? We or?
1: didn't have a lot, We didn't have a lot of constant fighting or anything. They're kind of a silent rivalry more than anything. Uh, um, my biggest, big, oldest brother and I were really close for a lot of years, and I, I noticed, you know, just between me and you were there that, yeah, we did start having some friction when I started shooting bigger, nicer racked up than him. <laughs> <laughs> that
3: seems
0: Talking some smack, I, mean, I like it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I don't care what anybody else shoots myself, personally. I don't, I'm not that way, but yeah. uh, some people, it bothers, you know, some people want to be the top dog no matter what myself, I don't personally, I'm not out there for that's not why I hunt, um, and, but I do get a kick out of watching them turn green when I'm dragging one of those big right, racks. I have to say that, but.
3: gotcha.
1: <laughs> so, hey, yeah, yeah. there's always, always brutally rivaling, so, um, sure. uh, and myself personally, I I try to keep, keep it at a minimum as much as I could, but it is what it is. Yep, yeah.
0: when when you guys are out,
1: um, I mean, I get the question, sorry to interrupt you, I get yeah. the question all the time as well, oh, who's the best steering Oh, yeah, because. Deer and Deer Hunt Magazine wrote that we were the top three deer hunters possibly in America, Yeah. and that was my two brothers and myself, And but they didn't say who. <laughs> gotcha. it, was a good, it was good in a lot of ways, and I always just thought, while, well, the public will decide it eventually, I guess.
0: What uh, what year was that published? I remember reading uh, the article.
1: Oh, I don't remember. It was
0: 15 years I ago.
1: That. Yeah, I don't even think it was that long ago. Right. It was probably back in 2008, maybe.
0: 2008, gotcha.
1: Yeah. No. Somewhere around then.
0: What did you think about that article when it came out?
1: I was just thinking that they needed something to write
0: about. <laughs> <That's> excellent. <laughs> See, I mean, it doesn't sound like you guys are. I mean, you you know your craft, but it doesn't sound like you brag or boast about it. It's no, not. Like-
1: no, I, we're just doing what we do. That's you know, I never myself personally never could quite understand all the hoopla, other than we're doing something that was, that was a little unique from the rest of the world, and I guess anytime you're different, then that draws attention. So very and true. My, and Dad was that way. Dad didn't even right up until he was ready to pass away. Here, he just always kept telling me, "I really." To this day don't understand all this hoopla and all this about this and, and he never really did understand he never realized that he was probably one of the greatest influences in white tail deer hunting that had come along and since guys like Fred Bear and all right. that you know he I don't think he understood his place where he truly was interesting and I, I think the rest of us are that way too I don't myself as I sit here on my porch and I just, I don't know. I'm always, I'm always amazed at it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, n- I never just, you know, meeting you guys before, I never felt like you were all caught up in it. It was just kind of like, yeah, we'll tell you some stories and tell you how to do it better and we'll help you out. But, you know, we're not really here to show off kind of thing.
1: No, i and that's not us. Not in our genetic makeup, I don't think. Right. I'm I'm more would rather be that mountain man that's recluse and be left alone yeah. in a lot of ways.
0: <laughs> would you say you and guys are, are still some of the best deer hunters in America or you you just don't even care?
1: Oh, I, there's no, no doubt that. And there's other guys out there that are they're just as successful and you just don't hear about them, I don't think. Uh, I mean, hunting in itself has changed in so many different ways far as, is, you know, the way the world sees hunting, you know, I mean, out in the Midwest, they sit there in those heated huts and why they wear camouflage, I don't know, because they're inside a hut, you can't see them. Good point. And, <laughs> and they're watching a green pile or, or, you know, they know this buck's coming along that they've been feeding for five years and, you know, he's up, he's up duty, no doubt. Gotcha. <laughs> but pretty much ranch raises I would call it. I mean, I would like to do a deer hunting challenge to the rest of the world if, if anybody wanted to, disagree with that i've got some places where there's one deer in about 10 miles and see who can come out of there with a big buck
0: i like the challenge how about the big buck registry challenge
1: there we go and I've been and, and, you know I've had I've been approached by by uh, some of those real what do you call them there, reality TV show the people that are once from LA sure and I threw that concept at them but they didn't seem to bite
0: oh yeah the, the Hollywood types
1: yeah I would love to get to nothing against Lee and Tiffany over the rest of the world out there but I'd love to say all right guys come with me let's go to some of the farthest reaches of Ontario or Minnesota one of them places where there's very few deer and you've got to figure out how to get a big body.
0: right Mm, that would be a challenge and a half i would that would be we'll have to discuss that off off air here
1: see i don't know if it'd be fair to have me do it because that's what i do
0: (laughs) no it wouldn't be because it's something you're you're, you do all the time
1: i'm used to it i mean where i'm hunting in minnesota northern minnesota there was probably one deer in 10 miles in places and the first year dad and i showed up there we drove around for four days just to find a deer track no kidding the wolves that eat everything out, and also so it took us a while to find some deer when i did find some and there were dandies but hmm.
0: when was the last getting
1: a pure, beautiful 170 class kind of kind of buck with a big mahogany rack and oh wow and that was that was the just about the only big buck that i saw when i was out there for two weeks interesting yeah so, so even mean, kind of, even kind skilled of hunters kind of like yourself style. yeah yeah i mean yeah i mean that's the kind of style of hunting that i do it's not about having a lot of deer i'm just looking for that one big one a
0: One. not not about the a bunch but just that one now
1: yeah once i find him, then i'm then i'm on right
0: lane what when was the last time you shot a deer that weighed less than 200 pounds
1: uh, this last year. Last year, okay. <laughs> I don't. I've lately I've been hunting more for rat than I have um body size game. This year I may, I may hunt the northeast here, and if I'm hunting the northeast, then you're going to see me shoot some kind of two hundred pound deer. Where okay. I was hunting, two hundred pound deer were not all that many. So, gotcha. Other than where I was in Minnesota, and that one that one was just barely under two hundred. That cameraman and I got together there on um, but.
0: Gotcha. Now, the, as far as, you mentioned that the, the tracking or finding that big track is the key to your your success, but that you, and I've seen this on videos, you used to have, and I don't know if you still have it today, Casper the White Suburban.
1: Yeah, that was Lanny's.
0: That was Lanny's. Yeah. And do, do you all kind of have these uh, heavy-duty vehicles that you can get out on the old logging roads and drive around until you can cut the right track?
1: Yeah, we uh we all have uh, rigs pretty much built for going in the woods. That's that's the okay. secret in itself right there. And getting back into places where the average guy don't want to take his thirty thousand dollar truck. I've got an old eighty nine Chevy blazer that came from California, and the body's rock solid and, and mechanically we work working I make sure everything's hundred percent for deer hunting and by the time I get down this junk again then I gotta rebuild it for the next year. But
0: Right. So you spend as much time building engines to get out into the woods.
1: Yeah, building building Four wheel to make sure we get places. Like last year, uh, I ended up hunting with a friend of mine, my cameraman guy. And we used his rig because that's what he wanted to do, and, and he had a nice FJ, you know, with all kinds of vera lock differential in it. Yeah. And, and that that was a nice rig. We, we got into wherever we needed to go with that, and we may use that again this year. I don't. know That was kind of an in talking either, of now, and now nobody knew else
0: who it was. What, what's your vehicle of choice if you had to pick one? Is there is there? A I like I one? like
1: my Chevys, my older Chevys. But.
0: Gotcha. The big Chevy, and you jack them up so you can cover some. Yeah. Yeah. You look at
1: 35 inch tires at least on them. Okay. Three and a half, four inch lifts. So try to have a winch, winch on them.
2: So it sounds like they're fully rigged for the hit the woods.
1: Yeah. You uh, you, you want them rigged that you can get into some places.
0: Okay. It's awesome. What, uh, this is something that always fascinated me. It seemed like uh, you guys always are hanging deer, um, at camp, pictures of all, and all your books. Um, I'm looking at a Benoit book, uh, right now as we speak in my library. And, The way you hang a buck, uh, we've seen bucks hung from the back legs and from the racks. What's your preference?
1: Yeah, I, I, our dad was one of the major causes on that was, and there's a couple of reasons for it too, is we don't, when, when we field dress a deer, we don't open up the whole back pelvic area and cut out his anus and, and split the pelvic bone and all that, cause you're just, you're just exposing a pile of meat. And a lot of times if you're hunting in a remote area, we're not gonna be cutting them up immediately, so you don't wanna expose all that. Plus, also tracking, it's not like we're just shooting them, you know, a hundred yards into the woods and dragging them out. Uh, sometimes we've got long drags, gotta go through beaver bogs or whatever oh. else you got. You don't want all your meat exposed. So when you do hang them up, you don't want all that blood being trapped down into the lower end where your steaks and all that stuff. is. And old blood is, is what will contaminate and make your meat smell and not be tasted. Uh, if you hang them upside down, then when they drain down into the body cavity, they go right out, right out to the, the throat channel and the blood just drains out of his mouth and you ain't got to worry about
0: it. Gotcha. So you prefer That's to hang, hang from the hind yeah. legs.
1: Yes, and that and that and, and that just all of a sudden it was the most disrespectful thing to hang a deer by its neck. all. did that to criminals. The no criminal. Yeah,
0: I can think back to those old pictures in you know the '30s um, yeah. where they all hung them by the antlers, and uh, yeah. I didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I see your point.
1: Yeah, the way we dress our deer and stuff, and, and clean them out and
0: everything, it's better to have the blood going down towards the neck. Gotcha. Uh, what's it like hunting with a camera guy? I my my, my per- <laughs> I, I like to get uh, out there by stressful. myself, and it's I can't imagine hunting with somebody else. You got to wait for them, that kind of stuff. What's that like?
1: Well, I don't know. One of the first rules is I tell them I says, "Don't make me wait for them." Some- <laughs> Good. So that's one of the first things we get cleared up right off. When, when it's time to get up in the morning and get going I only want to mention it once if I got to tell them to get up and I'd rather have them up and dressed and ready to go before me if, I, if they can <laughs> and uh, then fires tracking and all that's going so far I've been a, the guy that's with me right now we're a good match we uh, I don't have to wait for him or anything he's, he's been physically up and that's good enough to keep up yep. and I'm getting I'm pushing 60 years old so it's not like you gotta be some superhuman to stay up with me anymore so
3: was there,
2: uh, how, how many camera guys have you went through
1: well Oh, I don't know. I head butted one once, and didn't, didn't go over good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're still head, friends, though. We're still friends. The camera guy.
1: Yeah, well, we got an argument because he was calling back home, and I just didn't want him telling the whole world what we were doing. That's hilarious. Uh, not that there was anything wrong with what we were doing. It was just, I just, uh, you're not supposed to be blabbing it all and showing footage to people before we get ready to get it out there. Right. <laughs> 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 Head the camera guy. That's, that's awesome. interesting. I, I, used to, I used to be a feisty cuss. You know, I used to, I used to just strapper. So that's
0: yeah, that's hilarious.
2: That 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 usually get their attention. You headbutt the camera uh-huh. guy. He, he will I, I, I'm much mellower
1: with them now. I, I, I don't get mad at them anymore when they don't get the footage. Here. It's just I expect it now, more than If they get the footage, they go, "Really? You got it?"
0: <laughs> that's hilarious. Now, how much do you have to be in shape to do the type of hunting you're talking about?
1: Yeah, you, uh, I start out in the fall, uh, I try to do some bird hunting. Walking in the woods is the only thing that gets you ready for walking in the woods. So, let's get that clear. You can stair climb and do anything you want thinking that, or walk up and down a road and thinking you're getting yourself in shape. But certainly in shape, you should hike. You should be in the woods. And I try, I try to make sure I get as much time as I can before deer season, you know, bird hunting with my dogs and, and being out in the woods as much as I can before I go do the real thing.
0: Gotcha. It it always seems to me, because I like to hoof it, too, that there's a different... You're using different groups of muscles. Usually, I think you're using a lot more. Uh, and, yeah. And if you're just doing a stair climber, they ain't going to cut it because you're just using one set of muscles the same way every time. You get out in the woods... Yeah.
1: Well, then when you're walking around in the woods, there's all this stuff under your feet. You've got to high step. you got to pick your legs all the way up to get over stuff. and You're, you're just doing different movements and one repetitive movement.
0: Right. So. Gotcha. As far as, like the track itself. You talked about uh, just finding a big track. Is it easy to not, or say you found some tracks, is it easy to get on another track that you think is decent, but wouldn't be ideal? Or do you actually have to spot on, make sure that that the thirty out six cartridge goes in there, no problem, and that's the one you uh, got to
1: follow. No, it's a fine one where the out six shell goes inside. Which is a rare thing. It's high, up in the state of Maine, you'll find that more because they're bigger bone and bigger deer, especially in the northern zones of Maine. Yep. It takes a huge deer to live up there to the winters. Okay. Um, from region to region, uh, that's not always the case. As far as when I was hunting down in southern New Hampshire, there was not a deer to be found down there that you could take an optic shell and put it right inside of. Interesting. And if you okay. found one that you you can put three quarters of the shell in, and you were doing pretty good. Hmm. So, you have to learn to read what the area has to offer as far as genetics and bone size. It's like where I was hunting in Wisconsin this year, Chris. The bucker I shot weighed 185 pounds, had a nice big rat. He had feet that would have looked like a doefeat here in Vermont. No <laughs> kidding.
3: Nice, okay.
1: Frisky, beautiful feet on them, you know, compared to they weren't great big buck track feet like what you see in Maine or northern Hampshire or something like that. It's uh- the same with Ontario. The There's big track ones there, but I know like how blood, when he first went out there, he struggled with it, what it was a big butt track. It's the same, he went over to the Adirondack uh, this last fall. He wrote a story there, and I can understand what he was pointing towards. He says, what is a big butt track in Adirondack? You know, he was over there for a week or whatever he was there for, and he was struggling trying to find a, a big butt track because he's so used to seeing what Maine off. Mm. And the genetics and the size of the deer in New York State, their feet just don't run as big as the ones in Maine. And so he was struggling with that a little bit, I think. And after a while, you learn how to adjust and do that in different areas.
0: Gotcha. So you really—that's a good point. So you need to know the area, the deer population that you're in, and then. Yeah, the- and-
1: and what I do a lot of times is the bucks are being dragged, you know, dropped to the weigh station and stuff. You see a big buck being weighed in there. Go look, see what his feet look like. See so what size, what size seat he has. Okay. And that, that'll give you a clue a little bit right there. And granted, there's always going to be exceptions to a rule. There's going to be a big, big track on somewhere there's going to be a big footed one. Just like men and, you know, and women versus there's big men and then there's small men, you know, and... And genetically, that, you know, that's the case no matter where you are, but there's always be some size of a in certain areas, and there's not just whether, that, you know, that's what the genetics lean towards or not.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Very, very good point. Um, Lane, I'd like to have Dusty kind of run down through like a gear check, the type of gear that you bring into the woods with you when you're heading out. I usually
1: have a GPS now, which I never used to hunt with, but, which is a hell of a hell of a tool because uh, it's amazing. that You know, as far as tell you your approximate time that you can get out to back to your truck, uh, how far away from, from it you are, it takes away from a lot of the guesswork that I used to have to do. You know, as far as just being a woodsman and and not. Uh, I always have a compass, sometimes too. Let me have another one. You know, put it in my back pocket because one thing about compasses, those those never lie. Right, and I uh, know GPS can conk out on it and you. I didn't moment being electronic so you should know how to run a compass. And I always make sure I have something to start a fire. And uh, other than that, my drag rope, plenty of bullets, and some food that are usually enough for it. So if I have to spend the night, i got something I can chew on while I'm under a fruit tree watching my fire go. Gotcha. And if I do spend the night in the woods. unfortunately I've never had to spend the night in the woods. It's been awful close, but never had
0: it. That's cool. What about um, scents? Do you ever use any, like, buck scents or anything like that, dough and heat? Um...
1: i got just one scent that scents that I use. That's common sense.
0: Common sense. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's the best sense to use of all, right? Common sense. What about uh, game calls? You ever use any game calls?
1: Uh, I, I use grunt calls a little bit okay, once in a while. Not, um, not a I lot. Actually, I actually, by my own throat and, and burping, I've, I've used that as a grunt call when I didn't have a grunt call times and, and actually called the buck in so, so I could hear him walking around and get his attention with it and he came right to me and came checking me out.
0: Gotcha. Um, all right, so common sense of a grunt call of some sort. Use any, like, uh, doe calls or anything like that, like the can or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I've got a little blade can that I've used off and on that worked really well in Ontario. I've never had it work anywhere else for me, but out there, there's a, you know, was, at the time, there was a high percentage of does and bucks competing, you know, the buck competing over the does and stuff, and and the bucks seem to, very curiously-wise, well, come, come check it out.
0: Hmm, interesting.
1: That's worked pretty well on a couple times.
0: What's your, what's your preference for a firearm?
1: I love my Remington pumps. Maybe it's 30-out-6, do 70, it doesn't matter.
0: Okay. As long as it's a pump of some sort, 30-out-6. Yeah, as long 70.
1: as it's a Remington pump. Okay. About the most sail-safe, light, quick, quick action, ready to go, gun-a-gun, gun, you know?
0: Yep. Anything else that you bring in the woods besides that?
1: No, that's pretty much all I've ever needed. Make sure you got gloves and and that's about it. I mean, and don't overdress if you're going to be a tracker because if you get sweated up, and then that's going to be the, one of the worst things that can happen to you is all ringing wet with sweat. Then if, if you do have to spend the night when you've settled down, You'll get cold quicker in heck from that. Uh, If I I get tracking a buck really hard, I take my jacket off, take my shirt off, put it in the game pouch, and strip down real light, trying not to get all sweated
0: up. Gotcha. Uh, That does kind of break up a good question. So you're, you're not you're not jogging through the woods. You're methodically moving, and sometimes moving faster, sometimes moving slower.
1: Yeah, if that buck is really cruising and looking for does, you've got to go as fast as him or faster to catch up. Okay. And I and what I do a lot of times is, is I slip up my gun on my shoulder and I'm headed. And my strides are matching his. And every time he takes a turn in the woods, if I can cut that track off from where I can last see it way out there versus where I'm standing, if he takes a loop to the right and I'll cut it off every time. I'll keep cutting it off, cutting it off, cutting it off. And every time you do that, you're gaining ground. If you come on to where he's making ground scrapes, done some rubs, that's nice. To look at, there's times to analyze and look at things when I'm tracking. If I can care less. I keep right on the cruising because he wasted a bunch of time there. I'm not gonna.
0: Gotcha. And when and do you slow? When do you decide to slow down?
1: When he starts slowing down and starts feeding, or he's got into a, some other deer and he's playing around with some does and just starts to start paying attention. Okay.
3: Very and it depends
1: on what they're doing. If he's chasing does and running, then you've got to chase them and run right after. Right. You want to try to get caught up to them and get in between them. If you can't you get between them, you've got it. A lot of times if I see some fresh buck urine on the ground there or whatever, I'll rub some on my legs. The same with with I'll put some of that on my pant legs a little bit, you know, just in my boots, and keep on going. Uh, I talked to biologists. They said the best scent that you could ever use probably in the woods is, is, is their turds, believe it or not. Just anyway. deer poop. Yeah. All right i never done it. I never ground them upon me, but I've got, like I said, if I see buck urine or, or dough urine, a lot of times I just stick my boot in it and rub it up, up and down my pant leg a little bit just to give me something. But sure. I don't know if, if it works or it don't. I'm usually by the time they smell me and I'm like, I should be seeing them, and usually I've got a bullet in them.
0: <laughs> Excellent. What, what about like <laughs> yeah. uh, hemlocks or things like that? You ever grab a branch? Yeah, that would be
1: good. Cedar hemlocks your natural surroundings.
0: Okay. That, I, mean, t- I, I don't
1: know about all this stuff that they sell in the market. I mean, you add an alien smell to his, his territory where he comes into, especially if you're doing setups. I think it's going to put him on full alert like, holy cow, there's something different here.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Now,
1: I I don't, I, if I am doing a setup, I don't mess with their natural, what they're doing there. There's ground scrapes there being frequented and um, being used by the does, and the bucks are coming checking them. You don't need to go over there and squirt nothing there or hang anything up. And if that thing's active, there's are going to be deer showing up.
0: Okay. Just leave it. That's what you're saying.
1: Yeah, just leave it alone. That's my eyes that's the best luck I've ever had.
2: Gotcha. What what's your opinion on some of these scents and cover scents and, and dough urines that they got on the market?
1: Well, I think they got some stuff that's probably working pretty good. I mean that standin' standing dough or whatever by like cold blue, I mean that's natural. The problem is, uh what's going on now with the natural products and stuff, Canada's banned it, you know, like up in Ontario where we were out there. You get, I think you get a $150 fine to catch you with it now uh because they're worried about chronic waste disease right. problem. So, myself, I, I never use use any of this stuff hardly, so I don't really really have a huge take on it. I don't think I'm the guy that should be answering that question because I don't use the stuff.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, just uh, you know, it makes it nice to hear an opinion from somebody that's not using it, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't really need to use it. Like I said, because I just what, what's there that's natural and around me is good enough as far as I'm concerned. I don't. I don't think tampering with anything is is the way to go. I mean, I've heard of guys that do set drags and. And mock scrapes and, and and it works for them. I mean that's what they swear by. And, and, and the chances are it, it, it's probably just fine. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not really I'm not somebody that uses it, so I wouldn't really be the one to question on it. Right.
2: And we, I, I, everybody's got that one buddy that that swears that the monster came down Central, You know, and I always tell everybody that my opinion is that it's a uh, deer deterrent on that scent rag that you're dumping out of that bottle. It, it, it's. Uh, <laughs> Seems like I, it's just, more yeah, often I just,
1: yeah, I just, yeah. That's the way it seemed for me. Was I've I've, I've seen hot scrapes go right to cold because I played around with them. But that's what little I have played with them, so that's why I don't do it.
2: Right, and that, you know that that's a great that's a great uh, tip right there. Is that uh, come from experience?
1: And I hate to say that because there's guys that are making a living off of this stuff, you know, and they swear by it, and they're doing good, and they're killing deer every year. So who's to say who's right and who's wrong? That's all you know, on that. So. Right,
3: right, right, right. I agree to that.
1: And it could be just because we don't know what we're doing. Right. I mean, they, they, they. I know they wear uh, special gloves yeah. and they don't touch any human sound. I mean, they're real fanatics about how they go out. So
2: right. It seems like that's a lot of work to go deer hunting now.
1: Yeah, I, I just like putting a bullet in my gun and I stick my finger out, put it a wet it, see which way the wind's blowing. And, <laughs> my
0: setup. Awesome. <laughs> right on <laughs> that way. Um, Lane, what do you have? You ever had any encounters with uh, like wolves or any situations oh, like yeah. that?
1: I mean, you, you can't help but have encounters when you're, especially if you're up in Canada or Minnesota where we're hunting there. Uh, I haven't had any real rude ones with them, but I have had a, where they do give you an awful eerie feeling when you see one standing there looking at you for a minute.
0: Yeah, it uh, seems like that might be a little hair-raising experience there.
1: I mean, as long as I got my off six or two seventy in my hands and a full clip, they, they don't want to play with me anyways
0: i don't think right gotcha all right so i was i was hunting in the woods um a couple of years ago in uh, near my hometown and i bumped into a hunter there who said he was good friends with your family and i've forgotten his Perfect. name since now but he was out there trying to get a, a deer for his son And he had already shot his 10-pointer because he found a place where they were crossing in this marshy area. He figured that was the one spot. He actually found the area when he was bass fishing and watched uh, lots of deer cross. And he went back and said he shot a nice 10-pointer there. But he had explained to me when we were talking there in the woods that – he had, he had known you guys, and it was a very dry year, and the the leaves were loud as heck. And he explained to me that you guys didn't care about sound. Like, you just marched through the woods, and it didn't matter. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I We call that crunching up on What you do is basically, uh, have you ever heard a deer walking through the woods on leaves? Yeah. They just go, and they trudge along, right. and they stop, listen a little bit, and they, it's pretty much what we do. Okay. I mean, that's the pace I do. That's what's worked best for me. Okay. And, uh, you know, you can, you don't want to go too fast, and you just don't want to go too slow. And if you've got two people walking, I, I think they they tend to hear that as, like, a deer walking with four legs versus a man, you know, has a sound of walking with just two legs more. of
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Once you de- once you finally get on a track, is it a solo game from there, other than yeah, the camera guy, of course? Yeah,
1: pretty much. I mean, I've we've, I've double teamed with my best friend, Coker. Uh, Lanny and I have shot a pile of bucks together. Um okay. I mean, I'm, we've done it where there's three guys, so I mean, it's much easier as a solo hunter, you know, by yourself than anything in and, and just one-on-one you in that deer, and there's nobody to uh, yell at for breaking branches or something. To be quiet, make that a final approach and do things right, and, and there's nothing like it in the world. That's one reason why we like this style more than anything. I think right. if uh, if you learn to accomplish it and and, and excel at it, it is is probably no more rewarding way to hunt than and track a nice big butt down and get them. How long? Did,
0: how, how long does it take from the time you find a track to?
1: Well, on the average, I, I've always I've kept track of it. The, the magic time for me, and I've got some on film. And you'll hear me talk about. it. Well, it's been about three and a half hours. And a lot of times, it's about what time it takes me to catch up to them—about three and a half hours. And but and I'm getting hours. older, so now it might be four and a
0: half. Four and a half hours now. Three and, yeah, and a half hours I when you were a younger man. Got it.
1: And, but right. uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, every, every, each and every time you track a deer, it's, it's individual and it's different.
0: Gotcha. Now that you're getting, but I've
1: had some very typical seasons. A kid, the next one, I tracked in five minutes, and I'm dragging him out to the rig.
0: Okay. So there's a large variation, but on average, you're you're thinking three yeah. three to four on hours. Average
1: though, I would say it was a good three and a half hours. Okay. People. Gotcha.
0: All right. So uh, now you're getting to be an older man, and you're you sounds like you're looking to pursue a few other things. Um, instead of just the hunt, I mean, you're still hunting, but there's some other things you're branching out into. Talk to me about, um, some of this writing you're doing.
1: Oh, I mean, the funny part about this writing thing is is my, my English teacher must be right now. Just can't imagine. (laughs) I was the worst kid in English class you ever saw. (laughs) I mean, he, he would have flunked me, I think, but he just wanted to get rid of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's the bottom line. And I don't know, I get all these stories that you know that I tell people at the outdoor shows and stuff, and, and they're always telling me, geez, Lane, you should write a book. I mean, if you can put this stuff down and write, it's reading material. People would love it. And so I'm taking my first poke at truly writing a column and, and writing a book now. So I've got about four or five chapters of the book already pretty well done up, and I did my first Column for uh, Fred Howard's uh, the Outdoor Gazette. Yeah, and uh, that one was about a turkey hunt that I did where I ran into a mother bear and two cubs, which was quite an entertaining deal before I got done. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so far the, the responses I'm getting back, people really like my story because they felt like they were sitting there at the table and I was telling the story. So I think I'm, I think I'm on the right track on what, how I want to write and, yeah. and do things well.
0: You're finding your your writing voice. That's, that's yeah, the way. Yeah, you...
1: I, I don't know how good I'm going to do at this because uh, I never in my whole life ever thought I would be writing anything, you know, right. especially when I was a young fellow when, when all I had to do, you know, they couldn't get me hard to write anything for English class, you know.
0: Gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. So you're writing for the Outdoor Gazette. Fred Allen. Yeah. Uh, who else are you writing for?
1: Um, I've got Northwood Journal wants me to do a how to do column, but I don't I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to do it or not. Okay. And I've had a lot of opportunities through different magazines through the years. as to whether I wanted to pursue it or not. So I'm going to I'm going to try Fred's here first and see how well it goes, and then, then I'll worry about sure. getting on board with some other ones. Probably. Gotcha.
0: Uh, how about some new DVDs? I've I've watched uh, a lot of the the first ones that you did. Um, And I've collected them all, and all of them have disappeared and never came back. So you know they're good. Um, Yeah. I don't know. You know, I wish I had those copies back, but I know that I'll never get them back because they're that good. People just hold on to them.
1: Well, I think they're selling the whole bunch of them you can buy a whole, the whole lot of them off in Shane now if you want and for a reasonable price if you get them back that way yeah, um, that would work he handled the, he was handling all the DVD stuff and stuff with the White Brothers yeah. and I'm kind of away from that now so now I'm branching out doing my own DVDs uh, I haven't produced anything yet because I was pretty much tied up with dad for the last 4 or 5 years Sure. and I wanted these last 4 or 5 years to just join our hunt and I filmed when he'd let me film them and, and filmed what I could right. and now I'm back at it this last season was the first season I really actually went out with a cameraman and with the intent that we were going to make some, uh, you know, get some footage for DVD. And I got some classic Lane Benoit footage this year where I dump a big 10 pointer 15 yards away right in front of us. And, and it was just nice, awesome footage. And we got a nice 8 pointer on film. So that, we got all that produced and put in music on it. And we, and I've got a ton, a ton of stuff that I've filmed the last. I don't know, ten years, fifteen years. Very cool. And so I'm I'm I gotta I got to i got to sit down and edit and go through years and years of dates and chips and footage that's on cameras and, and so I'm hoping to have one produced by the end of June.
0: Very cool. So you got some and old and the- old footage, non H D stuff. You're gonna try to Married in with some of the new technology. Sounds
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, some of it's not H is not high definition, so it'd never be yours TV unless they can figure out a way to make it HD. But sure. Uh, but it's uh, the stuff that I got right now. The one that I was showing at the outdoor shows this year. The footage is from just last year's hunt. Everybody wanted to buy that. I mean, I, I could I could produce that and just sell that. But sure. I want to I want to give them a little more. So soon as we get done turkey hunting and stuff here, we're gonna then we're gonna go back to the edit table and and want we'll to try to finish up and have a really nice nice DVD. Gotcha. But a lot, lot more cow doing, probably, too.
0: Yeah, you've been doing deer hunting for years. Are you going to branch out into the turkey hunting and stuff like that?
1: Oh, I've been turkey hunting for since my kid was eight years old, and he's 22 sure. now. And I've been I've been slamming big birds for year year after year here. Last year, I shot two big toms in one shot in Vermont
0: here. That's cool. Are you going to film all that stuff, too, or are you just going to keep that's, that to that's yourself? That's film.
1: No, that's film, too. Film.
0: Awesome. So you're going to try to... <laughs>
1: Yeah, this weekend uh, coming up, i got to go do a youth hunt down in New Hampshire. i to be filming a young kid there. Also. We get get him shooting a nice big bird on film. Nice. You never know with kids, though. You never know. No, no, no. You never know. No. Sometimes they just don't even shoot. <laughs> you True.
0: How can we shoot that bird? I've, uh, I have uh, Yeah, I've taken some uh, adults out, and they forgot to shoot. Uh,
1: yeah, they just they get wrapped up in the moment. And yeah. Um, they don't fight anyone to take a shot sometimes.
0: So, What, what else is going to happen in, in Lane's world in the next 12 months? What else you got going on?
1: Uh, I'm trying to think. What if, Oh, I've got a new clothing line that I just had negotiations actually today. Really? And I'm not going to speak any more about that to It's a firm thing because I learned a lesson on that.
3: Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> you know,
1: every time you think you've got something wrapped up and finalized and right. you don't really have it signed on the dotted line, then it may not happen. So. Right. But it's it's going to be exciting. It's really a really beautiful product.
0: So. Some uh, outdoor gear, hunting gear kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, it's going
0: to be hunting gear, uh, all
1: hunting gear. So.
2: Okay.
0: Tell us a story, your
2: earliest childhood hunt that you can remember. Can you, can you throw that out there real quick, what, what it was and how it went down?
1: And one of my favorite ones was, uh, was back when talking about uh, one, you know, how long it took you to learn and do all that with tracking. I'd gone with my brother, Lanny, and stuff, and shot some deer with him. And, and I'd shot one small buck with Dad the year before. And finally, we were up in Maine, and it didn't snow. And I decided, oh, uh, it snowed in Vermont. I'm like, we're going to go back to Vermont. And, uh, and my brother, Shane, said, well, I'll go back with you. And I remember my oldest brother Lanny saying, well, why the hell go back there? I'm not sure how we can find a big buck there anymore. Should just stay here and finish the season out with us. I said, no, oh, there's snow back in Vermont. I'm going back. And this is when I finally figured out how to truly put it all together and, and became my, became a big buck. And, so we jumped in a 58 Ford, my brother Shane and I, and head, <laughs> headed the way up to Island Pond from Duxbury here, which is a good hour and a half from here, probably. It was all like Route 2 and bad roads. And the roads were just covered with ice, snow, and we almost got wrecked about four times, but we got there. And it were not until 9 o'clock in the morning when we finally got there, and we left before daybreak. And we bogged up into this, what was called South American Pond back in the day of the road, and it's still there, but now you can drive a Cadillac up in there. But when we went up in, it was like an old log road. Yes. Yeah. Done. I had the exhaust ripped off the car, and I stomp and drove up through the floorboard and ripped the floorboard out from under my feet. So I was looking, I was looking down at the ground and going, oh, my God, i got to get this thing home. Well, we got up into where we wanted to go, track the rig, and I got up in the woods there. Sure enough, there was this big buck track with a go, and I ended up tracking the big buck and shot him and got him back home. We got back home with that rumbling wreck. That was the last time I ever ran the car. I mean, I ruined it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding.
1: Yeah, so, so we couldn't go in that rig the next day. We took my brother Shane's car the next day up in there, which was an old sixty-something Chevy, a little better shape than a like, fifty-eight Ford. Did
2: you have to and, steal it? Did you have to steal it, or did he give it to you?
1: <laughs> so we Shane and I went up in the next day, and we went and got another box, another nice. Uh, that one was a seven-pointer. And uh, and when Lanny and Shane came back from Maine, holy shit, there were two big boxes hanging up on the porch, and it was the only ones that were shot that year. By oh office. wow, nice.
3: And,
0: Awesome. Very That's cool story.
1: So after that I learned, you know, I don't always have to listen to Big Brother. He doesn't know everything.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Very nice. No. Uh, do you, yeah, so. what did you say that's that? one of my favorite stories that's your favorite story is there any other favorite deer owning story that uh, sticks out
1: oh I got piles of them but I'm gonna save them for the book
0: gonna save them for the book all right <laughs> that's cool I'll wait for that book um uh Lane how can people reach you do you have a Facebook page or anything I know you're yeah, sitting I in can, the I middle of the woods in Vermont them. but how do we reach you if you if we want to talk to you
1: uh, I'm, on, I'm on Facebook and putting there every day sometime during the day or whatever I check on it and uh, you can just punch in Lane Benoit and it'll show up yep uh, or if you just punch in uh, www. dot com, and that that'll go to my website usually.
0: Okay, gotcha. So, so you got lanebenoit.com. is that right? I want to make sure I've yeah, got just, this Yeah, down.
1: Just punch in www. and that that'll bring you to my website.
0: Okay, and then Facebook. I'll be
1: revamping that up, souping it up here pretty soon. So.
0: All right, and I think we're going to do a little project with your Facebook page, if I'm not mistaken, at some point here.
2: Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Jay, don't don't get him upset. He's liable to throw the headbutt. Yes, just be careful.
0: (laughs) Just stay away from his head and everything will be fine.
1: Put a helmet <laughs> on. I'm, I'm the new reformed wing. Oh, I see. Not, I'm not the old cantankerous mountain man that I was.
0: <laughs> the tank, cantankerous <laughs> mountain man that you once were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can be, you know, but I, I really work hard at not being. <laughs> well,
0: that's good. Sometimes we all have to work hard at that little thing. I
1: think there was a bottle of Captain Morgan that was involved with that one, though. Uh, that'll
0: so, do it. Sometimes that does <laughs> yeah, blur the the judgment a bit, yes.
1: I, 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 yeah, I don't have to drink anymore. I don't care
0: stuff anymore i've had enough gotcha. yeah i hear you <laughs> uh lane thanks for joining us to, to on this show and and I'm, I'm sure everybody listening will will absolutely enjoy hearing some of the stuff that you've you've done and that you've you're looking to do in the near future here uh but it's been a pleasure
1: okay good. thank you very much
0: well that was one of the best big buck breakdowns we've ever had absolutely you know
2: and uh i feel like i could go to the woods now and be a better tracker
0: yes you know, since I started following the Benoites years and years ago, I've tried to do my own tracking and I have had some success. I'm not shooting the size deer that they are, but I, I really um credit a lot of my hunting that I do today in the fall when there's some snow around uh, to the Benoits. It's really, uh, I try to mimic their their whole game plan. And it doesn't always work out as it would for Lane or the rest of the brothers, but you know, I get I chew off a little bit of my own, and I, that's all I need. So, thanks to uh, Lane for joining us on the show and giving us all his uh, tips and tricks and uh, sharing some good deer hunting stories with us. And certainly wish him the the best in his endeavors and writing and the books and DVDs and all the, the stuff that it sounds like he's he's attempting to put out um, in the near future here, and just carrying on that tradition of the Benoit family.
2: Absolutely, you know, and that's a guy there that tracking is a way of life. Yeah, yep. And you don't find that very often. That's, you know, great content for everybody that's listeners to, to go back and listen to again and, and
0: pick up some tips on tracking. Yep, it's true. You know, you put a big buck in a five-mile radius or whatever. My money's on lane. Oh, yeah, you know? Sure. It's a, it's a skill set that you don't, well, you need snow first and foremost during hunting season. So there are only so many places in the country where you can make that happen. You know, it's not, not common once you get south of like Pennsylvania, really, you know, and I don't, I don't really see a lot of snow in Pennsylvania in November, maybe in December, but. It's uh it would be something you could do later. And you need mountains and big open spaces with no other hunters.
2: Right on, for sure. You got to have wide open land for that.
0: Yep. And they do hunt all public land. It's not private. I know that for sure, which is interesting. So you got to find large acres or large tracts of public land where nobody else goes where a big deer like to hang out. That's hard to find.
2: Absolutely, you know, and no population and That's, uh, I mean, it's out there.
0: Don't get me wrong; it's definitely out there. It's out there, but it may be some places in Kentucky. You think you could do that? Yeah,
2: possibility. uh, You know, even Tennessee, maybe. uh, You you get more out west. I'm sure there's
0: plenty of acreage that's, you know, unpopulated, right? And you need snow, so maybe Kentucky isn't a place where you could really do that. That's more of a. I always think of Kentucky as as a southern state and a warmer climate during the fall season. Anyway, that'd be hard to do.
2: Right. For sure. Yeah. I agree to that 100%. Yeah. So, yeah. just, uh, yeah, you know, take a special area to do a show like that. Right. Or
0: put something together like that. It's almost like you have to go to Michigan, Minnesota, Northern Michigan, Northern Minnesota, go to New Hampshire, North, you know, Maine. There are only certain areas. It's like a perfect blend. Kind of how like we we're talking about, um, and Billy Daw and his, his, uh, Facebook page. That's a perfect match. This is kind of a perfect match. This skill set, this family lane hunting these types of, of tracks that are near his home. Yeah, right on. Yep. Um very good show. Thanks, uh thanks for joining me, Dusty, and thanks to you listening to the show and uh we'll come back and do it again. Absolutely. Yep. yep. In the meantime, how can we reach out to you, Dusty? Facebook dot com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. Rock and roll. How, how about you, Jay, at the Big Buck Registry? Big Registry dot com. Facebook is Big Buck Registry dot com forward slash Facebook and Twitter is Big Buck Registry dot com forward slash Twitter. Phone number is 724-613-2825. You can call in a, a review if you want to do an audio review instead of an iTunes review. Um, leave us a, a message there. Tell Ask a question if you have a hunting question that we can post on our Facebook platform and get some answers for you. Uh, that's, that's always worked out really well. Uh, you can always text a picture in of a big buck. And if you want to share a big buck on Facebook, that's very cool too um send me an email jay at bigbuckregistry.com i think that's it just you know hang out on stitch or hang out on itunes and listen to the show and give us a review when you're done that's uh that would be great
2: absolutely we really thank you for the folks that give us a review and uh, thanks to the future
0: reviews that would be coming in yes keep them coming um this is jay scott and i'm dusty Fulbs. this is the big buck Registry's big buck podcast see you next week can't wait